So, yes, I just compared Blair Witch 2 to Videodrome, and I think I did it pretty admirably. Radio Draw. Welcome to another probably very divisive episode of Radiodrome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Canada Monkey Man himself, the Peter. That's right. My little intros lately have been boring, but tonight it's a little more interesting with I'm a wild child coming up, man. All right, there, Blackie. <laughs> So Cecil actually has the flu this week, so he would rather you not hear him throwing up, so he is off this week. Oh, poor guy. Before we get into the topic, if you guys want to help out the show, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And also, if you're going to be searching some of the darker parts of the web, or you just don't want to be tracked, or you want to see a show that's maybe not available in your region, you need a VPN, a virtual private network. Go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN, and you will be able to get 75% off of Nord, Nord VPN, 75% off of a three-year plan. That's only $3.49 a month. You can change what region you're in. You you can encode your data. They'll protect your data. Nobody will be able to track you. You basically need a VPN nowadays. So 1201beyond.com backslash VPN. And it helps us out quite a bit. So we're going to piss off quite a few of our listeners now. We're going to talk politics and movies. Because there was a recent kerfuffle lately. You've got the new Black Christmas remake coming out. No, I haven't seen it, and I have no interest in seeing it. Okay, here's the thing. I had no interest in seeing it before the controversy. After the controversy, I really have no interest in seeing it. <laughs> but the controversy came because they're promoting this as a feminist horror movie. Ooh. Oh, the feminism and all this. But he, he, here's the thing about it. Now, remember, we're kind of in a feminist, get woke, go broke. You're like, Charlie's Angels, feminist film, fails at the box office. You've got The Black Christmas, feminist film, it's failing at the box office. You've got Terminator Dark Fate, feminist film, failing at the box office. <laughs> Terminator 2 was a very feminist film, and it didn't promote itself as that, but it did very well. Like, it's it's not as if feminist movies didn't exist before, but it's like, when you market your film as, like, this political message, that's sort of what f***s it, because it, it adds this, like, layer of pretension to it. The Joe Bob Briggs thing sent out a tweet where he was talking about how this film is being promoted as... A political movie. It's a message movie. And what ha- what happened to just a horror movie being a horror movie first? Back in the what he said was back in the seventies, they were horror movies first, and then they were political movies as subtext. Now it's all about we are making a political movie. Eh, let's make it as a horror film. And what actually got mm. him on this because he got so much backlash on this. Oh, he did. Now he does admit his words, and I'm quoting a clumsy worded tweet so he, well, he yeah, kind of wishes he apologized he he went and um made some like after tweets about it saying that he he doesn't think that there shouldn't be any he he thinks that there should be you know politics or or um a message in horror movies but he retracted his statement a little bit by saying that you know it's it's more about making the movie first and then having the subtext later what he actually said here in response was quote this thing went in a hundred different directions and I didn't understand why it was going in all these different directions. You gotta read this in Joe Bob's voice. I can't even do a Joe Bob approximation. <laughs> he says, it was actually just clumsily worded. If I had just said some movies instead of implying all movies, it probably wouldn't have inspired this reaction. But I've had other reactions like that to things. Things that you say about horror, especially if you're talking about horror theory, tend to get these reactions. So it's a good thing. I recently spoke to director Sophia Takal about the discourse and she mentioned that 
despite some reactions being disheartening, it's important to her to make a movie that sparked dialogue. So even if there was a lot of disagreement about the topic, it's clear that fans were passionate to have the discourse. Here's the thing. I wasn't trying to open up a discourse. When I <laughs> Actually, when I wrote that, I was watching Chopping Mall, and I was thinking, we don't really have Chopping Malls anymore. We have very serious horror movies. We don't have extremely lighthearted movies. I've never asked writer-director Jim Wynorski if he has a political subtext to Chopping Mall, but I don't think he does. I would almost wager that he does not. Maybe there's no. undertones of the, of the status of the mall security <laughs> security conspiracy agenda. I'm going to write a whole article on this thing. It depends on what you're talking about. That thing went in so many different directions to the point where there was name-calling and accusing me of things that were that were absolutely wild. They were just way out there, going back and quoting things out of context from my old articles. I left the horror audience and it went to some other level. I'm going to write about that. I've been controversial since the 70s, so it's not saying anything that I'm not used to. What's strange about this particular one is that it comes from a random comment about horror subtext. I could give you a thousand things that I've written that I would put ahead of that content as as thinking this is going to be controversial, unquote. <laughs> On the subject of Chopping Mall, did that come out before or after RoboCop? Before. That was actually a year prior to RoboCop. That that movie basically did the um, Ed 209 thing before uh, Paul Verhoeven did. What Joe Bob's point was... People got mad at him, and not even just the blue check marks. They got mad at him because he was saying he was not kind of interested in in Black Christmas 2019 because of how political it was. And people were like, horror films, you've always been political. And what he was trying to say is, yes, <laughs> they have, but it's always been cloaked with the politics underneath. Like like Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead might be one of the greatest movies ever made. It's, it's very much like a Vietnam vet returning hippies that kind of uh, political statement like it, it always had a, a shroud well, of that for Night of the Living Dead it was sort of Romero was seeing the sea change of the, remember the 1960s if we think things are tumultuous right now remember what the 60s and 70s were like people there was yes. there was this change going on where America America itself was changing sometimes for the better sometimes for the worse especially depending on what side you're on and what Romero saw was with the hippie movement and the anti-Vietnam movement the 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 Women's movement, ironically enough, feminism, the rise of old feminism and all that. What he saw yes. was there was a new society coming up, which was figuratively swallowing the old society. So he says Night of the Living Dead is literally a new society rising up, but in this case, not so figuratively swallowing the old society. You don't have to have any of that to just enjoy Night of the Living Dead for what it is. No, exactly. Like, you can have this, like, political message in your film, but you don't need to promote the film with that political message. And I feel like that's what Joe Bob was talking about in the first place. Like, you don't need to have that to be like promoted with the film in order to go see the film which is which is what a lot of movies are doing right now which is what which is what Black Christmas did it's like what, what were some of the keywords for it like ruthlessly feminist and like all this shit. And it's like, oh, it's PG, so the teens can go see it. And it's like, kidding? Teenagers have been the, the, the priority audience for slasher movies since the fucking, like, late 80s. Not, not late 80s, late 70s and early 80s. Like, people went to go see Friday the 13th because it was promoted to teenagers and Halloween and, and Nightmare on Elm Street and all these movies. It's like, you're, you're making up bullshit excuses for your political nonsense. With Terminator Dark Fate, the director even came out and said, this is a, and I'm quoting, fiercely feminist film oh, that will Lord. scare the shit out of misogynists. What is this fucking, like, fiercely feminist quote thing? Like, this has been, this has not only been used for Terminator Dark Fate, it was also used for the Black Christmas movie, like, fiercely feminist like what are, what are you doing well okay okay you, you have a difference between older feminist films like i think terminator 2 and aliens are actually quite feminist it's very, movies yeah absolutely like really really feminist but nowadays what they think is a feminist film 
is an anti-male film. And I'm not some fucking MRA or shit like this, okay? I'm talking about, you look at Terminator Dark Fate. What is the very first thing the movie does? The savior of the future is John Connor. We shoot him in the face, and now the savior of the future is a woman. The protector is a woman. The other protector is a woman. Every man in the movie is either evil or stupid or incompetent. In in the Charlie's Angels remake that nobody went to go see and nobody <laughs> asked for, feminist... By making every single male character either evil, incompetent, or dumb as a stump. I'm not joking. Every single character is in incompetent, evil, or dumb as a stump. And that somehow is, look, feminism! Okay, <laughs> l- 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 let's, let's swap the genders for a second. Wouldn't that be misogynistic? If a male-oriented film did that, yes, it totally would, and I would call it out for being blatantly misogynistic. It's just... And the fallout from from this whole thing, from the Black Christmas thing, there are all of these blue check marks saying like, well, we don't care what males say. We don't need, uh, uh, yes, this came uh, up again. We don't need the thoughts of white males oh on these movies. There, they like, I mean, e- even, even the Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer is getting crap because it's being called, and I'm, I'm not joking, it's saying it's rewarding toxic fans who refuse to accept the 2016 uh, Ghostbusters! God damn it! Okay, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna... Okay, okay, I've, I've calmed down. I'm not gonna rant about this, but it's meant to be the third film in the franchise. This film is meant to follow the second film. The the Vigo painting gooey film. That's what it's meant to do. It's, it's not ignoring the remake for malicious reasons. It's just the third Ghostbusters film. Stop making up all these excuses as to why yourself. The, the Ghostbusters remake stunk. It was given to a director who decided to let all of his actors improvise, and they did not do a good job of it. It was not a good film. It was not funny. It was not a, it was not a good movie, okay? The, regardless of who was in it, it doesn't matter. These were some of the top stars of SNL at the time. It was not a good movie. And that that, that happens, okay? And see, the, the Robocop remake was one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. Okay, sometimes remakes are just the worst things to happen to a movie ever. That's just what it is. That's just what happens sometimes. When it comes to Ghostbusters 2016, I don't have a problem well, with yeah, female exactly. Ghostbusters. Back on the old cartoon, Janine was a Ghostbuster yeah. many times. On Extreme Ghostbusters, one of the main characters was a punk rock teen girl. She was a great character. I don't care that it's girls. It's I cared movie. that it wasn't funny. It's just because it was a bad movie like a lot of these like 2010 remake films are not good we had a bad what was it a howling remake we had a bad robocop remake we had a bad ghostbusters remake it's like these were just really empty vacant headed remake films it has nothing to do with the ghostbusters being female it was just it was just a bad film Let's switch gears a little bit, and let's just talk about politics in film. Now, sometimes you can tell the politics of a certain person after a while. Like, okay, everyone knows I don't like Jordan <laughs> Peele, but l- let's look at l- let's look at Jordan Peele for a moment. So, oh, that makes you a bigot. You don't like black people. Uh huh. <laughs> so, Jordan Peele. I'm starting to think that every that this guy thinks everything is racist because you go back and look at Key and Peele. Most of the sketches are about racism. You look at Get Out, it's about racism. You look at Us, it's about racism. You look at his Twilight Zone, it's about racism. You look at his Candyman, it's about racism. You look at the new TV series he's making for HBO called Lovecraft Country, it's about racism. I wonder if Jordan Peele has a political agenda in his filmmaking, huh? Well, the thing with Jordan Peele, and I, I really don't mind him. I think his comedy with uh, with Key and Peele was was quite good. I enjoyed Get Out. I enjoyed Us. What he's doing is um, catering to the crowd now, and uh, I feel like he's gotten a, a little bit shit stormed with what's kind of popular now, which is to 
honestly, nowadays it's, it's kind of cool to just like crap on white people, to crap on tropes in movies, to, to claim that black people are always the first to die in movies and all this stuff. And I feel like he's, he's kind of gotten lost in that, even though I, I do feel like he is, uh, talented at what he does, but he's gotten tainted by some of the stereotypes that are not actually true because if you if, if you look at a lot of 80 slasher films even like and I will bring this up even like the Friday the 13th films here's a here's a way that the stereotype of the black guy always dies first was uh skipped in this whole series it was either you either had a whole cast of white people or the black person would stop Jason Part five, Reggie the Reckless is the one that stabs a machete into Roy Burns' fucking hand. And if you want to look at part eight, you know, you got Julius who punches Jason about 150 times in the face before he's, he's, he's one of the, the last ones to die. So it's like, what is this like? fabricated lie of the black person always dies first in a horror movie it, it sounds like a crock of shit to me it's bullshit it, it, that more comes from the 1960s when you didn't have as many black people in movies that era but it, it just it just seems like because see there are two different ways you can you can put text political text into a, into a film you can either do it jordan peele style where it's all text it's all that this is what the movie's about or <sighs> or you can hide it within the film for instance my girlfriend loves the movie ginger snaps she has seen it many many times I just pointed out to her last week that the film Ginger Snaps is a metaphor for a woman getting her first period and becoming a woman, and it's a <laughs> metaphor for menstruation. She just saw that. So she's been enjoying this movie just as a werewolf film, and then went, holy crap, there is subtext here. Yeah, because it was subtext. You can enjoy Ginger Absolutely. Snaps just as a werewolf film or as a metaphor on menstruation. It's both exactly. there. For sure, that that was always there. The, the, the same thing with the original Black Christmas. It was always there that there was a subtext of pro-life and pro-choice. You know, the, the, the main chick of the film and the guy, and he wants to have a bay with, with the main chick, and she is questioning it, and she wants to focus on her career. That's a very pro-life slash pro-choice, you know, abortion versus not abortion argument, which was made in the early 80s. And now you have this the remake coming out. Black that's Christmas that's is from 74, man. 70s, yes, 70s, exactly. It was from the 70s. And you have this new movie coming out that's like, we are more progressive than your original movie. We will stamp like, out no. the patriarchy. Yes, exactly. We'll, we'll stamp out this. We'll call out that. Fuck yourself. The original film was progressive, called out a lot of, a lot of messages in that time that weren't actually being talked about a lot. It was still a great slasher film. It inspired the likes of Halloween. It had a pretty decent remake in the earlier 2000s. And this new film, oh, we made it PG so we could, we could get more teens, uh, involved in it because we care so much of, we care so much about the teens and, 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 and f you. The fucking 80s slashers, as far as Friday the 13th, as far as Halloween, as far as Nightmare on Elm Street and Texas Chainsaw Massacre goes, the biggest audience for these films were teenagers. So Blumhouse, you can take yourself to Blum Butt Town and fuck yourself in the ass. When you hide, when you hide your political message in subtext, you can still, here's the thing, to make a good political movie, that I'm not talking a specific politics-based movie, but if you want to cloak it in a horror film or a sci-fi film or something, you should be able to enjoy the movie without getting the message. For instance, right. Once Bitten. My girlfriend and I watched this about a year ago, and I was, I was telling her about how the, the whole movie is a metaphor for casual sex and STDs right when AIDS is coming up and all and she goes none of that is and i'm and i showed her the blog from the writer and i'm like no actually actually that all is actually in there and if you think about it once bitten is kind of a metaphor for unprotected sex and look what happens and the long-term fallout but it's also a 
a really fun, dirty PG-13 80s sex comedy, too. There's clearly a message in there, but still, like, the movie comes first. It's the same thing with um John Carpenter's They Live, which well, is no, like... No, no, no. See, I'm going to argue with that, because see, They Live, that, that, that one John Carpenter had no subtlety. That is all text. He specifically made well, no, that... Well, no, it was, it was att- meant to be, for sure, it was meant to be a very anti-Reaganomics uh, movie, but at the same time, those, like, Obey and all those, like, um you know, billboards that when he puts on the glasses that comes at the end of the movie uh, people have used this as an example oh no politics in movies well, what about they live and it's like well all of these things happen at the end of the film you can still watch they live as just a great alien invasion action film but also he specifically was going out of his way to attack republicans and the was, administration yeah. specifically and that's really on the surface he did he not hide sure. that so they live is not a subtextual film they live is a textual film but you have to you do have to watch the film to get that though because like like the people using the uh like obey billboard pictures and gifts and whatnot don't seem to realize that that doesn't happen until like 40 minutes into the film they live also shows how you can misconstrue a political message yes because once the whole MAGA thing started happening in the country, the, I, I refuse to call them alt-right. They're neo-Nazis. <laughs> they the, are. The, 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 Nazis, the neo, sure. the neo-Nazis adopted They Live as their movie oh. about how it was exposing the Jews and the way the Jews run the world. And it was all about Zion and oh, all of this shit. And John oh, Carpenter had insane. to, John Carpenter had to come out and said, this is not about Jews. This is not about a Jewish conspiracy. It was about and, government. He told he, he well it's it's about Republicans. Yes. Ironically enough, it's a the, the people who are adopting this movie as anti as as exposing the Jews are the target of the actual fucking film. <laughs> He's attacking exactly. Republicans in the movie. Yeah, don't uh don't champion this shit if you're like a right winger, alt right type person, because John Carpenter himself is an admitted liberal leftist type of guy, and this movie was a sh- canning to Reaganomics. He has even said this in the commentary, so go die. There are other things, like, have you seen The Dead Don't Die yet? I really enjoyed the film. I liked I liked all the character interactions. So the Tilda Swinton almost stole the freaking movie from the rest of the cast, and it's a fantastic cast. And she almost stole the damn film from them. I kind of didn't like how Jim Jarmusch stuck the political message. He he made it very textual, not subtextual. That this is all happening because the Earth gets knocked off of its axis because of fracking. And it's like, all right, that's a little sledgehammer to the foreheady there, oh, Jim. Boy. You know. But then again, look at something like, you know, to stick with Jarmusch, Only Lovers Left Alive. He's not the first person to do this, but he very, very much uses being a vampire as a cipher for drug addiction. Fighting their urge for blood. They're breaking down. They're they're dealing with blood in back alleys because they can't be seen with this stuff. Only Lovers Left Alive is a vampire movie. It's also a movie about drug addiction, too, technically. That's almost every vampire movie. That's why I said he wasn't the first to do this. I mean, like, Near, Near Dark did that shit way better. What about something like Bruiser, the George Romero film? Now, almost mm. all, almost every George Romero movie. But when you come to like Bruiser, probably one of his most unseen movies because it barely got a release in America. In Bruiser, it's all about the way corporations just chew you up, the way corporations use people. And to a corporation, you're faceless. I don't know. I'll call him our protagonist for now because he does some pretty evil things, but he becomes a faceless person. And only when literally losing his face, is he free to be who he was, who he wanted to be? There's a powerful message there. Or you could also see it as just a weird revenge movie, too. Well, yeah, it's kind of similar to, like, uh, to the early 90s uh, Jack Frost movie. There's this weird thing where you can also ascribe political connotations to something that isn't there. I love when I see some old 80s movie, well, see, it's about this, and it's about the dangers of premarital sex and drug use, and blah, blah, blah. none of that was there. For instance, l- let's look at the Michael Bay transfer. Transformers film. <laughs> I, I, I could say these films are a cipher and a metaphor for transsexuality because these people who they can't be who they really are. They have to hide within a shell <laughs> to be accepted among society. These are movies that are pro-transsexual. Oh my Aren't God. they, Peter? Or am I? I'm just pulling all this out of my 
kicking ass. Transformers more than meets the eye. It's all a bunch of crap. I mean, if, if you if you decide that, say, the Friday the 13th films are all about, oh, the dangers of promiscuality. It's not, really. If you look at the first film, what was the uh, the main character, I believe, was named, uh, was it Alice or something? Alice. She was banging the head counselor. Guy was about 40 or something. This is an older guy. She ends up being the survivor girl. Part two, we have Ginny, very sexually active girl, very liberal girl, very opinionated, ends up being the survivor of the film. But Ginny also, and I swear there's a, there's a deleted subplot from part two. There has I, to be I, like I, a pregnancy I, thing for sure. Right, because, because at one point she says she has to talk to him about something, something important, and then they never get back to that. She, there, there's all this talk about early on woman's periods and how that yeah. can get them in in, pro, in trouble. Then she has this whole motherly thing with Jason where she's like, everything that was set up before there was a pregnancy subplot that was cut out of this, clumsily cut out of it I might add, but there might have been a pregnancy abortion kind of thing in this movie. If there was, I would have really liked to see it because I feel like Ginny is one of the most interesting characters of that series especially her like, her kind of bar rant about what Jason might be, which was just, just great some of the best writing in like any slasher horror film of that time and you've got other characters like you know you, you've got black characters that live until the end that even win against Jason or imposter Jason like in five or punch the out of Jason and eight you got PTSD driven characters like Tommy Jarvis the horror genre on its own is probably one of the most progressive of the subgenre in general of films of horror ever and yet you have movies nowadays that are like fiercely feminist that are ignoring history which is absolutely batshit insane you know, you have the difference between text and subtext where I'm going to, I'm going to contrast two movies, two movies I love. They basically tackle the same subject, but in very different ways. Right. It's going to be strange that I'm, I, I'm using these two because probably no one has ever said these two movies in the same sentence before. Videodrome and Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. Oh, wow. In Videodrome, what Cronenberg saw was with videotape, you know, and home video being a, a thing that was just exploding at the time, he saw also within movies, they were getting more violent, they, the people were liking more violence. And now, think about what a, a drome is literally an arena of combat. So the title Videodrome is Video Combat. You have this subtext throughout the whole movie. All of this is happening to Max Wren because he's a sleazeball, because he kept wanting something more violent, more extreme. This was Cronenberg making a statement about where he saw video just exploding open, reaching into the darkness that was within us for more and more and more. Whereas you have Blair Witch 2, which is a movie that is all about Film lies. What you see on film isn't real. And then it posits the whole film lies, video tells the truth. And in the era that that came out in 2000, remember, we had all these reality shows coming up. We had all of these hidden camera shows. You had, you, you know, YouTube wasn't a thing yet, but you had the internet. You had stuff like, I can't remember if Live Leak existed yet, but that kind of thing. Where, hey, look at these security camera videos with these people eating ass and then getting hit by a car and all this. Blair Witch 2 was a commentary on, a, on base. Basically the same thing Videodrome was, but for a totally different format and a different market. True. So, yes, I just compared Blair Witch 2 to Videodrome, and I think I did it pretty admirably. I, I absolutely agree, and you could go back and look at movies like uh, Running Man as well. You know, Stephen King originally wrote the, the book as Richard Bachman, and they made a very like live television reality show kind of thing with the with the film with the Schwarzenegger film. I feel like this was something that was definitely starting before and was coming into play was definitely prevalent already in the 80s which is very interesting. So I I definitely agree on on all fronts of that. 
Well, I mean, you have a movie like Network. There's no subtlety at all to Network. Network is all text. Oh, for sure. And it's also one of the greatest films ever made. Movies like that, movies like, um, what was it, the the China Syndrome and Running Man, like, these were very, like, meta-Americana culture films kind of ended up eventually predicting what uh, life in America really was like, which is which is really cool to uh, to look at and especially to revisit now and to, and, to, and to see like how similar it really is. Well, and then there are some genres that are just all political subtext, even if you don't mean to. Even <laughs> if you as the filmmaker, you, you want to insert zero political subtext, just being in this genre means you have to, like cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is all about the little person fighting the big corporation. They're almost always criminals who are fighting against the law. They're fighting against corrupt laws. Cyberpunk in general is an anti-authoritarian genre. Every cyberpunk movie is a political movie if you really break it down. And books too. Like this, this has gone back in the early sixties with writers like Philip, Philip K. Dick that were writing very weirdly, strangely progressive stories for the time that they were writing them in. Like Philip Dick in general, when he was writing stuff in the sixties, it felt even reading it now like stuff that would be coming out in the eighties. So cyberpunk was, was easy easily one of the one of the best subgenres that would be coming out at that time the the politics just baked into a cyberpunk movie for sure are there like i said you can you can make you can make a cyberpunk movie and you have zero political aspirations well, like, and you don't want to um, say anything but you do just by making it cyberpunk yes. you're saying something well, look at um look at robocop in in the um the smallest elements of it this is a film that predicted the takeover of Disney. So when this film came out, before the downfall of the motor vehicle industry in Detroit, this hadn't happened yet. They they made Detroit this run-down, almost dystopian future, which happened a few years after the film came out. And you've got this company, OCP, that is buying everything. It is literally taking corporation on every single little thing. Does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of a little bit of how Disney is buying every single little thing and how and how Detroit itself doesn't have an industry anymore and how it's falling apart rampantly? It's strange to me how like RoboCop is so accurate to what's happening right now because if you look at OCP, the way it's promoted in the film, the way the executives are in the movie, it's a lot like Disney and it's kind of scary. Well, and sometimes you can add, this is for a comic book, but not a movie. Sometimes you can add political subtext just by a goof. Yes. When Mike Grell was writing Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters, he had a subplot in there about the CIA selling weapons to a foreign country and funneling, blah, blah, the Iran-Contra affair. This was a year before the Iran-Contra affair. After Iran-Contra came out, people actually asked him, did you have some sort of inside information? Oh, Jesus. And I'm quoting Mike Grell, no, I just thought of the stupidest thing the CIA could be caught doing. Wow. In retrospect, he accidentally added a ton of political subtext that really wasn't there when the book first came out. History kind of bore it out, you know? <laughs> That's insane. Which is, which is sort of like, I know you're going to argue, argue with me on this one, but I do kind of see it. How as times change, the subtext of a movie that was not intended to be such has changed. Yes. Kind of like the way the neo-Nazis adopted They Live. Falling down has become a MAGA supporter's oh my wet dream. God, yes, and that's it. Ha- when you watch it today, you can't help but see a lot of these modern shooters. The, the way oh. defense talks, the way he acts, the way almost everything in the movie he does is against a minority. I mean, really, and the only person he kills, ironically enough, you know, a white guy is yes. a neo-Nazi. This was never intended to be a no. right-wing fantasy. Defense was always supposed to be the villain. He's the bad he, he's guy. He's a guy. But now you've he's got... He's a guy that, from the very beginning, especially when you watch more of the film, was a guy that was very mentally defected. His wife left him for a certain reason. He was given a restraining order for a certain reason. He's obviously a very emotionally damaged guy. And I even realized this when I first had seen the movie, when I was about 9 or 10 years old, and I've always loved it. I think Falling Down 
is a brilliant character study of just a guy who gets so just so like pummeled down by society and his own unchecked mental illnesses he clearly never never got therapy and he just becomes this like kind of a monster really and he has points here and there like i agree with him on the golf course stuff i think golf is an absolute waste of land and it's like you could easily put up uh low-income housings or parks playgrounds for children but instead no we're whacking some balls around i agree with that i agree when he when he f***ed up the neo-nazi guy but he's meant to be the villain he's a guy that has a lot of unchecked mental instability and that's what makes the movie so good and it's like yet you have these right wingers like gavin mckinnis who shows up on podcasts wearing the pocket protector dressing up the way the character does and being like i'm so defense i this is what this character you he's meant to be a villain he's not meant to be a good guy it's the same thing with like fight club with tyler durden where people like champion him he's a terrorist yeah tyler durden is not a good he's a guy terrorist. In the movie. he's a bad guy even like the the narrator of both the book and the film eventually go against him and even the film ends with eventually the, the narrator being like, you know, you, you met me at a strange point in my life as he makes the, uh, Tyler Durden shoot himself. It's, it's, he's not meant to be a good guy. Same with like taxi driver. It, it's something not a lot of people realize is that Robert De Niro's taxi driver character is a bad guy. He's a villain. Travis Bickle's not something you should aspire to. The same as Tyler Durden should not be what you want. Travis Bickle is a very mentally fractured man. This is a guy who you think? he really went through some shit in Vietnam and he's got some okay ideas. Like, sure, he wants to, you know, rescue Jodie Foster from her underage prostitution ring. He also wants to murder a fucking senator in cold blood. All the people he wants to kill, like reading up and, and writing in his diary about all these people he wants to murder. Murder. Like, this is a guy who's, like, he's basically the, like, anti-punisher. Like, this is a guy who wants to, like, murder innocent people just because he doesn't agree with what they do because of how f***ed up he got during the Vietnam War. There's a great moment in the movie. I mean, it's actually a subplot of the movie. He is so broken and does not understand society. He thinks it's okay to take a first date to a hardcore porn film. He thinks he he can't understand why she's so weirded out by this. He's so mad about it. He he leaves her messages and notes and it's like uh, referring to women as like a union and all this stuff. Like Travis Bickle is not meant to be a good guy. He's meant to be a guy who's clearly gotten very mentally fractured from the way he's been living his life and from his um service in the vietnam war which, which is what makes the, the film great it's a fantastic character study but if you yourself listening to this right now relates to travis bickle please get help if you if you relate to defense please, please get, get help. help please do isn't it weird how falling down in the 90s, defense was seen as the bad guy? Almost universally, nobody questioned yeah. this. It, it was it was only after all this MAGA shit came up and the neo-Nazis actually started getting seats in f***ing Congress that all of a sudden defense, you know what? Maybe he's got the right Which idea. Is insane! Like, it's such a good film, too. Like, it's a great movie. Probably one of my favorite performances of uh, Michael Douglas in general. Like, it's a really good movie. It's got a lot of great quotes, a lot of great scenes, really great directing from uh, Joel, Joel Schumacher. Schumacher. Uh, yes, of course. Really great, hot film, like sweaty film. Really makes you feel claustrophobic. It seems that the heat is almost oppressive when you're watching yeah, the movie. It makes you feel, like, really uncomfortable. That and Predator 2 make the heat an actual character yes, in the freaking it, it's film. great, but you should not be related to this character this is a character that you should be staying very far away from because he has been so corrupted by both the way he perceives society to be and both by his own mind like defense is a villain even though he kills a neo-nazi and even though he's right about like golf and he's right about construction and things like this he's still very much a very very messed up 
individual. And that's what makes the film so great is that it, it's this character study. It's very much the same thing as Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver is, is a character study of a mentally fractured mind. Miss 45 is a character study of a very mentally fractured mind. This woman that gets raped two times in a day and she becomes this like man hating lunatic. Like it, it's like you you could almost, okay, here's my thing about Miss 45 and with Abel Ferrara's history, I want to almost say this is intentional. Maybe Miss 45 almost seems like an anti-feminist movie. In a way. Doesn't Miss 45 seem like this is what happens if feminism goes too far because because Thana starts yeah absolutely it's it's like feminism because Thana seems Thana seems to see everything with a penis needs to die it's it's really good because you know she, she obviously got very tormented she was raped twice in one day she was obviously very mentally fractured by that because of that due to those things that happened to her she sees every man as a potential threat, which is a fantastic character study. Miss 45, Falling Down, Taxi Driver, all these movies fall in the same level. But if you romanticize these characters, if you decide to look at defense as a hero, there's something wrong with you. There's also, let's let's go to the 70s. Let's go to Paul Kersey. There are so many people who saw Paul Kersey as a <laughs> hero. Now, at, now, now, to to put it in context, at the time, especially in New York, Chicago, places like that, crime was just out of well, the, control. The economy, you, you look at the, the numbers. Was very terrible in New York in the um, late seventies and early eighties. Like there were very limited levels of police force and very high levels of crime, especially with gangs that were literally just like squatting in the uh, project areas. But see, here's the thing about Death Wish. Now, the movie versus the book. In the book, Paul Kersey is the bad guy. In the movie, he's romanticized. Paul Kersey is shown to be, he's finally (laughs) doing what the police can't do. And that movie had so many people that are like, yes, finally, somebody is going to clean up the streets and all. That's dangerous when you do that kind of shit. Because, I mean, yes, you're just making a movie, but at the same time, you are encouraging crazy fucking people. Uh, Look at the people who do think defense and Travis Bickle are the characters to emulate. Look look at the people who really see that. Well, you've got people like Gavin McInnes who have created a movement of the fucking Proud Boys, who are like a violent gang of people who brutally stabbed, what was it, like a Muslim couple to death. Neo-Nazi, well, okay, not just neo-Nazi, Nazism is never acceptable. Not not even neo, just Nazism in general is never acceptable. You ever see the movie Eye for an Eye? Uh, I think so. Who was in that one? Kiefer Sutherland rapes yes, Sally Field's yes, daughter yes, yes. and then gets off on a technicality and she goes all, all Paul Kersey on yes. it. Kiefer Sutherland's role was originally offered to Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts turned it down because he said, every time I take a role, I try and imbue some sort of humanity, even into a bad guy. And he said, I can't do that with a child oh, molester. God. I cannot try to give a child molester character some sort of humanity because they have right. none. In a movie like that, you go, I'm totally on Sally Field's side, but but is she still right? The political stance she took is, well, if the cops can't do it, then we got to do it. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right message to send. Well, vigilante justice is always kind of a kind of a gray area for sure, especially when you when you think about movies like that, when you think about the Death Wish films, even like the first Dirty Harry film. You know, he he has to go outside of the law to eventually catch what is pretty much meant to be the Zodiac killer of the film. You wonder like where the um the 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 political standard was at that time like obviously a lot of these vigilante films of course in the 80s was very much a time when people did not believe in the police force they believed a lot more in their own justice they believed in you know first amendment having a gun that kind of stuff because they didn't feel like the cops could could save them so this was really very much a product of his time I, I liked it. Like, I, I very much enjoyed Dirty it's a Harry. Very, okay, and... l- let's put it this way. Dirty Harry was such a right-wing power fantasy, and I still think it's an amazing yes. movie, but it's such a right-wing power Great fantasy. Film. In Thailand, they actually ordered prints of the film to use to train their officers. 
<laughs> okay? It is yeah, a right-wing power fantasy, and of course, you know, written by John Milius, so that, that's not a surprise. Everything John Milius no, does is a, even Conan, if you think about it, is kind of a right-wing power fantasy, although in a different way. But he, he's a very hard <laughs> right-winger. More of a barbarian uh, power fantasy for sure, it's a, especially in the uh, the line of dialogue of a crush your enemies. She's not driven to pull you. And hear the and lamentations, the lamentations of the women. Of women. <laughs> there, there are certain people where as soon as you see their name on a script or something, you're like, okay, here we go. But then you've got something like, like George Romero. Every single George Romero movie, Peter, has got some sort of a left-wing agenda to it. Okay, here's, here's my thing. My political stance is I'm a liberal, but people like Bill Maher make me ashamed to be a liberal. All those blue, all those blue <laughs> check marks on Twitter make me ashamed to be a liberal. Please do not think those people represent a, what liberalism is. I'm a liberal. I've been investigated by the Secret Service for, and I'm doing air quotes, threatening Donald Trump's life because I used an Oliver Stone <laughs> quote against. I, I, on Twitter, I, I tweeted to him, "Thousands of people die every day. Why can't you be one of them?" From Oliver Stone. U-turn. That got me investigated by the Secret <laughs> Service. So, yeah, I'm kind of a liberal, but I'm not a crazy liberal. And I I, and I don't uh, like I'm... when movies go so far, like the Black Christmas remake. Again, I haven't seen it. I have no intention to. I don't even like the remake in the freaking 2000s. It looked horrible. The new Black Christmas looks terrible, Peter. Just as soon as I saw that trailer for the first time, I went, nope, not doing this. And that was before I found how fiercely feminist and we want to start a discussion. Oh, God, just lick uh, your own twat. It, it, it's like the last 60 years didn't happen or something. It's like we, we've had plenty of feminism. We've had plenty of representation. Colored, I, I don't even like using that term, colored people does that even mean there are great actors of any race and any gender this like cold colored person term is ridiculous okay there's a lot of actors that are just that are just fantastic like sunny chiba was a household fucking name in the 70s and the 80s bruce lee still considered to be one of the biggest not only badasses of the whole like century of mankind but a leading man, pretty boy, a handsome man. And you've got all these amazing black actors, Hispanic actors, every kind of actor. And this is from years, years, years on end. And now all of a sudden we're pretending like, no movies are fiercely feminine. Are you, are, are you, are you serious? Well, are you really trying to just like ignore history? Because I gotta tell you, you're being a ridiculous a ridiculous, silly shit dick. I'm about as, as anti-SJW as you get. I think there's also a strange pushback that it's not going well in films against SJWs, like the new Shaft movie. The Shaft movie is was literally made to see how much it could piss off SJWs. Oh my and it's God. not the least bit funny. It's cringe-inducingly not funny. The the writer has basically come out and said, I wrote this movie because I wanted to push back against SJWs. That's not a quote, but that's ballpark what he said. So you drug the Shaft franchise down the toilet so you could piss off the blue check marks on Twitter? Uh-huh. It's like when your sole purpose is to piss off SJWs, you've already lost because the Shaft movie... I was offended at it, not because of the humor, because there was no humor. There was nothing funny in this movie. Just because it was so cringeworthy. Because the entire point was, let's be offensive. When, like, Ugh. Seth MacFarlane has that on Family Guy. He doesn't even have jokes. It has, let's see how offensive we could be. Um, okay, we did, we said something offensive, but where's the joke? It was offensive, so it's funny. Oh my no, god. No, that's not that's how this works. Great. That's just as annoying as, like, an ultra-virtuous person is you've got this whole, like, I'm going to be offensive. I'll make this joke about race. Or I'll make this joke about Shaft. Like, shut the f*** up. It's not funny. It's not interesting. You're not really crossing any borders or barriers. You're just being an annoying little shit dick that is craving for attention. That's all it is. 
There's nothing clever about it. You're not really upsetting anybody. You're annoying a few people. Sure, you might have a few articles written about you, but you're not doing anything. It's 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 just what it really is is pathetic. It's the same thing. And now maybe I'm coming at this in a specific way because I'm a liberal. Right wing stand up comics like people like Dennis Miller. I saw his last special. That was some of the cringiest. And I'm not saying not funny because he was saying things anti-liberal. This just isn't funny. I'm like, okay, you got the Daily Show out there, which is, you know, lean. It's it's kind of middle because they they go after the the left a lot too, but it it steadily leans leans to the to the left but remember the fox right. tried the half hour news hour they're a conservative version of the daily show i dare you to find those episodes and find one funny joke in it there's a reason it was canceled after like four episodes this was for some reason right-wing comedy doesn't tend to work and i don't know why all comedy that is based solely on like a political opinion is rarely ever funny I mean, if if you look at the comedy of George Carlin, if you look at the comedy of Bill Hicks, if you look at the comedy of these people, yes, they were political in a way. Both of both of those two are were, were very left leaning in general, but they could still be funny regardless of what political stance. I think it was George Carlin's last stand up special, the last one he he did before his death. He has a whole bit on pro suicide and how funny suicide can be. And this is liberal. <laughs> Carlin is very, very liberal, left-leaning but then, for like sure. I, said, I watched that, that last Dennis Miller special a few years ago, and I was just like, my God, there's no jokes here. It's just talking about, like, hippies smell, man. L- leftists eat, co- eat kale. Is that all you've got, right-wingers? Right-wing comedy isn't <laughs> funny. No, it's cringeworthy for sure. So on that note, let us know how much we're wrong about these movies, how much the, how much the feminist agenda should be pushed in films, how women are underrepresented, how wrong we are that movies like Charlie's Angels that can only push feminism by making men stupid, evil, or incompetent. Let us know how wrong we are. You can send letter bombs to us at 1201beyond at gmail.com or you can go to 1201beyond.com and Peter can be contacted. Where can they, where can they find me? I guess on, uh, on Twitter, at Zinematica, on Facebook, The Cinematicus, YouTube, The Cinematicus, 12OMBeyond.com, on Patreon, at Zinematica. So guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.